Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I am your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I am your other co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. And folks, it's Christmas Eve. You're all home. You've got your stockings hung, hanging out by your Christmas tree, getting eager to open up all those new Marvel legends underneath the tree. Uh, So we want to have a very special Christmas episode. So I thought, who better to celebrate the holiday with than my best friend of over 20 years, Mary Chambliss. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm doing great. Listeners, you can't see it, but she is wearing a onesie. <laughs> Actually, her and Flink, because they are so in sync, were wearing onesies when we logged on. And I got super jealous, and I had to go get my onesie. And now we are all <laughs> in onesies doing this episode. <laughs> These aren't just onesies, Day Spring. If you look, this is the the other queen of Christmas herself, Miss Mariah Carey, Wait. right here on my shoulder. Uh, how did you guys know? I just thought they were just really ugly onesies. I didn't know Mariah Carey. <laughs> Hater, no, no, <laughs> okay. these are our oh, look yeah. at our famous. No, Mariah. there was a full on like excursion or not excursion, but like a it was an event to get it was an event, it was an, it was event. an event. We we both ordered, ended up with what like six to eight at one point just yeah. to grab them and make sure because they were flying. So what happened was, is they were Amazon exclusive Mariah Carey Christmas onesies last year. And we were stalking Amazon waiting for them to release. And then when they finally did drop, the sizes were selling out like instantaneously. And we had no idea what size we were going to wear. So we each ordered three sizes and had like six Mariah Carey onesies and wound up selling the extras on eBay for like a shitload of money. So that's a little profit. The Thank you, ma'am. Don't fuck Thank around. You. No. We wow. can talk about Mariah Carey all day. You guys are Mariah Carey scalpers, and I'm here for it. <laughs> but I am very lamb. specifically a Christmas lamb. Like I love her, hail the queen in general, but like Christmas is where it's at. So that's exactly why we have you here on our very special Merry Christmas <laughs> episode. And before we go into what we're going to discuss, I want to get some background on you and your relationship with Flink. I kind of have an idea, but I'm not quite sure. What is your origin story with both of you? Yeah. So it was eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, grade. 1998, 1998 at a Lake Highlands high school football game. Cause we're such big sports fans. Yeah. Huge. Clearly, clearly with with your Mariah Carey onesie. Um, so I'm at the game Friday night, place to be hanging out with my girls and all of a sudden they spot Flinkman and go running. They were like, Oh my God, it's him. Let's go talk to him. And I'm like, literally have no idea. I've never heard of him. I have no idea how my friends know him, who he is. And they like literally run off and leave me in the dust. So I was like feeling some kind of way about like, what the hell? So I like eventually make my way, saunter up the stairs, up the bleachers to meet them where they're at and greeted, greeted him by saying, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yep. But wait, and... wait, why why are they obsessed with him? Oh my god. I I don't know. I know. I know. <laughs> All of them had a crush oh, on my yes. older brother Will. Oh well yeah. they can join they can me? join the club. Oh god. I thought we oh I god. put that behind me in like 10th grade. I, look, my brother Will, great, great guy, but I'm mm, mm, mm. Okay, yeah, Alex Summers. Yeah. Okay, Alex. Yeah. Right. And I'm I guess Alex they had a class with them. What were they were they were in like newspaper or I I honestly don't know. I don't know, but I know that one of yeah. our friends was so like in love with him that we apparently we shared the same like do- child doctor. What is that called? Not, not a pediatrician. Yeah, a pediatrician. <laughs> I was like, is that just for babies? No, <laughs> we shared the same baby doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. This, this goes way back. You don't even know. No, but like we we shared the same pediatrician and every year you would like bring in your new school picture and they would put it on a bulletin board in the office. And one of our friends was like so into my brother that she straight up stole his picture from the <laughs> I, board. I've never heard this. You've never? I, no. I'll, okay, well, I'm not going to ID this person. Sure. I'm just going to say- Sure, I have my suspicions. We'll call yeah. her, look, for the sake of the story, let's call her Allison Blair. Oh, <laughs> now, Al- Dazzler would never. That is no. how we went. We went to, you know, we went to middle school. We went to high school. Um, we've been f- friends ever since. We lived yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And even together. by the end of that night, we were, yeah. Like, oh I, my God, yes. Fuck are you real quick? Like, and then yeah. we ended up, I think I ended up like peeing my pants in a bouncy house. <laughs> it, it, literally the truth. So it literally it's so- as you come out, okay. you're just like, ha ha, I got the gay little brother, best friend now. <laughs> she won, she won that. I think, God, that night, I met so many of my very good lifelong friends that that night, you key among them, but you know, we our, yeah. our friend Katie, um, I met her that yeah. night. We karaoke to a Backstreet Boys song. Like mm-hmm. we had about the most 1998 night you could have. <laughs> and it was, it was fabulous. It was fabulous. We're going on 22 years of friendship here. We've lived together for a little bit of that time. Uh, I mean, the stories we could- The dark years. The dark years, yeah. The year (laughs) we lived together was not exactly the best, um, but we made the best. On the the flip side of that, of course, of course, you know me. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. the reason that you are, are, are here on this podcast, but of course- the, the, there is another half of the the generations of X equation, and that is, of course, Dayspring. Yes. Uh, so tell us, Mary, have you ever encountered Dayspring IRL? I have. I have had the absolute pleasure of encountering Dayspring IRL in the big city. Um, oh, yes. So I, I have to ID myself as the, um, the bra shopper from... Yes the initial episode from you guys met each other. So yeah, arrived in New York city and immediately went to buy a bra as every. (laughs) So yeah. Um, But yeah, got to meet him the same time that you did. Yeah. And had an amazing night out getting wasted and have some interesting pictures of the two of you together. (laughs) Yes. Well, 
I we met at that bar across from Midtown Comics. I'm forgetting what its name is, but right, we were at that bar. I just remember the mac and cheese. That's exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say. I dream about that mac and cheese to this day. Well, that bar, I mean, pre-pandemic, it was still there. It's right by our auctioning studio where we audition for, you know, roles and stuff like that. And I always stop in there and I get like a glass of like Pinot Grigio and I always remember you guys. But when I walked in that day, I mean, look, I was dying to meet Flink, but then I saw this like beautiful blonde <laughs> and oh. literally with your Victoria's <laughs> Secret bag. And you're like, ah, I got a new bra. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, let's go to Toys R Us. <laughs> right. Did we I, ride the Ferris wheel in the Toys R Us? I think we may have. I don't, I don't remember. I, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I've, I've absolutely done it. I just didn't know if that was like me. for as long as, as me and Mary have been friends, that moment occurred more than, I mean, less than halfway through our friendship. That was 2007. Like we, yeah, that was like halfway through our friendship. We, you, you came into, came into our lives. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. So it was such a magical year and meeting you that was my first year in new york and then we went out that night and we went to merchants which was my favorite bar at the time in chelsea and we have this picture of us three and like my hand like i didn't mean to do this but my hand sure at your like boob <laughs> just like us. And, i mean they were there to be grabbed you know <laughs> she didn't mind she didn't know were you single no. at that point <laughs> uh yeah after, so then she definitely <laughs> she can't imagine that i wasn't <laughs> and then recently i had to do a gig down in dallas and we had lunch safely at your place and it yes. was so wonderful to reconnect with you and yeah when i heard you were coming in town i remember i got like shockingly excited like oh my god do can i see him do i get to see him here like was really and it was a joy to catch up thankfully at that point we weren't like at the peak of 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 corona infection so we could we could all get together and hang out i wish yeah that That was a sliver it was that really awkward period where it was a sliver of hope where maybe you can cautiously return back to life you know in a very safe way and then absolutely not (laughs) right Mm -mm. Uh, and then it went the exact opposite so you know it kind of worked out that i had to get and i said that i can't believe i got booked for a gig when all of my in-person gigs were canceled but down in dallas (laughs) and i got to see flink and you and it was so great but you first met us and we wanted to go hunting for the black queen marvel legends and my question for you is were you like what the heck is wrong with these guys like do you what is your relationship with x-men like what do you what do you tell me about what you know about the x-men what i know about the x-men is what flinkman has told me about the x-men just a few casual things over the years yeah yeah and and, and to answer your question, no, that I did not think it was crazy at all because I had many, many years of Mike doing that just on a, da- a daily basis. Like, like literally, I think that like in our heydays of like partying, like staying out till like club closings, I'm pretty sure it was like there were a few times trail. I would take you by Walmart at like 2.30 in the morning <laughs> while we were probably definitely should have been home asleep. 
You're like, let me get these bath salts for the club, but also check the pegs. If it wasn't me going down the aisle with him, it was you go do what you need. I'm going to go check out the toys. Like we'll meet back. (laughs) Yep. That was totally normal. Um, But then, yeah, to answer about my relationship with X-Men in general, I mean, really for sure, Mike and then the movies, you know, when they came out, I, I went and saw them. I feel like I probably would have seen them on my own. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you're having, you're an open-minded gal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, my sister's into all that stuff, too, so. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I would have been into it. There's one in so. every family. <laughs> yeah. Like, she like yeah, she likes all the comic-y stuff without reading the actual comics. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cinematic universe of it all. <laughs> so I hear Mike talk about all the time was that Rogue is supposed to be Sookie Stackhouse. Like she yes. should have oh. been Sookie and not Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so hilarious to me that you remember that because yeah, I, I definitely have ranted in my day that Rogue is supposed to be this bold, sassy Southern woman and Anna Paquin is playing that character on True Blood, but she can't bring that to X-Men. Like, what the fuck? Like, Bitch, I- yeah. we've talked about yeah. this countless times. Like, it's exactly that. Why didn't they have Rogue grow throughout the films? Like, Anna Paquin is sassy Southern. There's no reason why in Days of Future Past, they couldn't have brought that element to it. She could have still been captured. She could have still been, you know, the plot she had. All she had to do was turn around and punch that fucking sensor. Yeah. I, I mean, look, Anna Paquin is an Academy Award winning actress. She had an Oscar. She was the only person in that first X-Men movie that had an Oscar at that point, And they gave her nothing t- to play. Like they well, didn't- I don't, I don't mind her being a bashful teenager who, you know, can't touch other people and she's kind of discovering her powers. I was fine with that. But by the time we got to X2, bring it up. You know what I mean? And I thought that what the seed was planted when she was on the X jet and she actually flew it herself. That was supposed to show how emboldened she got. And when she, when Magneto and Mystique were like, we love what you've done with your hair. And she was like, I'm going to take off my glove and get, Mm -hmm. I'll show you. Why didn't they expand on it? And Singer is very problematic, but Brett Ratner was problematic as well. And I just feel he did not know what to do with her. And the plot we got for her in X3 was shameful. That she cured herself. She would never get the cure. She would never get the cure. And it takes away from that muted metaphor that only someone who has no idea what the X-Men mean would actually think that was a happy ending for the character. Amen. Um, That's all I have to say. Amen, honey. Amen. So you have some passing knowledge of X-Men and and Marvel Mm -hmm. in general from from the movies. Right. Um, But have you ever read any comics? Well, yes, yes, I have. Yes. I may have known the answer you to this question, folks. I may have shoved known. them down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, you can't make me do anything I don't want to do. So that's I for sure. Accepted the um, the push into it. It didn't take, you know, but I enjoyed what I read. You threw me in to Miss Marvel, is right? I never know. Yeah, no, at that point, we were, were speaking her. of Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel, the, the original yes. before she was captain. And I'm not sure that I forced those on you so much as they were just sort of 
sitting on my bed and I was not paying attention to you. Well, you know, we, <laughs> we, we remember it how we remember it. Were you on Grinder? <laughs> is that were you on Grinder? And Mary's this like pre Grinder. <laughs> oh my god! So this you were on like, like gay.com. I don't. Oh think- my god! Yeah, no, and there you are probably right. We were probably sitting around, and yeah, I picked it up, and you said, "Oh, look at you paying attention. Do you want these next volumes of it?" Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I tried. I tried with Carol Danvers and you and, and it took a little you bit. Did. No, it did take. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm just barely a reader <laughs> and I don't like that about myself. I joined my own book club to like force me to read because like I enjoy it once I start it. But like it takes a lot to get me going. Yeah. I can understand that. I can understand that. It's yeah. I, for I, me, know, and I like, don't like it about myself. I don't. I know Dayspring is the total opposite. You are a bookaholic. Look at yeah. all those books. Like, look, I'm fa- I mean, I have them. books, <laughs> you know, and I've I read all figures. of these books. Yeah. So I will say that. I, yeah, I used to work in book publishing. I'm a book a day kind of person. I'll just go through it like that. It, oh it, my God. And I'm reading. so jealous of that. But we were, Flink and I were talking, you don't always necessarily retain every specific yeah. detail. Yeah. But you yeah. remember what speaks out to you or just like a couple of points. But that's, look, we would get a manuscript in at like five o'clock, you know, that mm-hmm. day. And then the next morning, we'd have to make a decision if we wanted to acquire the book. So de- it definitely takes away enjoyment from reading. And that's what I love about this podcast is Flink and I can just read these books and just enjoy them. And then yeah, maybe yeah. pure pleasure. Maybe. <laughs> Until this episode of the podcast, I had not forced any any X Men comics up, upon you, but uh, just in general, from from conversations that that we've had over the years, you know, I have action figures, artwork, the works hanging around. Do you have any idea of who your favorite X Men would be if you have one? Okay, yeah. Well, see, here's the problem with me is. I'm not, I'm never sure who's like actually an X-Man or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just throw out a name. Okay. So like, like I said, you, I read the Miss Marvel, but then like, I, I know Captain Marvel was like an Avenger. So then I'm like, well, she's probably not an X-Man. I don't know. Binary. So binary. It's like my instinct answer, but I don't know if it even applies. Yeah, we will we'll count we will count Ms. Marvel because she is more than just like slightly associated with the X-Men. There was a period there where she was practically a member of the team. She had a moment where she like dramatically quit. So here so okay. Let's just start with this. My 2019 Spotify artist of the year was Hugh Jackman because <laughs> tune whore. Show tune so whore. that's just going to lead me to Wolverine. But that being said, it's because I love Hugh Jackman because I'm just full disclosure. I really don't remember, you know, bad retention from the earlier movies, but I hated Logan bored out of my mind oh my god that's like guys i'm I'm sorry you just sent the internet after us mary like i we do not support this woman i I am i am appalled (laughs) i do i will not put my opinion i will not force my opinions onto others so please do not come after that (laughs) 
no, it's unsolicited opinion. Logan was a very interesting movie. I thought Days of Future Past ended the X-Men franchise so well. And then we got Logan where we found out everyone died. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. So when we were talking about last week, Blink, when, you know, Doctor Strange opens up his portal and, and people come out, there, there's going to have to be an explanation. Or are these just other Earths where they didn't die? You know, stuff like that. Not necessarily the movies we know. Or my headcanon is that Logan is a separate timeline. But yeah. sadly, there's not much evidence to support that. But... I, I see what you're saying, and but Hugh Jackman is delicious. He's oh, so delicious! Handsome. And How you know what? I need to watch Logan. Logan again. So, like, I remember flipping raving, raving about it, and so I just went oh, we saw it together. Yeah, we did. That was my yeah. That was my second yeah. time, and I was like, I was like, yeah, you can, you should come. This movie's amazing. It's all coming back now. Yes, yes, um, and. You know, maybe I just needed to like shop on. I, I think that's it. I think you told me that I didn't need to brush up. I mean, you don't. So I didn't. And I felt like I didn't know what the hell was going on the whole movie. And therefore, it was just kind of, it became boring for me because it was just like quiet and he's just so. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's perfect. You, I, you know what? We endorse that review. <laughs> Mary's review of Logan. <laughs> He's just oh. that is so perfect. So perfect. And I, I, I'll, I'll let. So, okay, your two favorite. So I'm willing. So I'm. So I'm choosing him as my favorite while saying I hate his solo movie, while being open to saying I should give it a rewatch. I, wow. You are a complex. No, I was about to say that's so complicated. <laughs> I've so got many complex, layers. I've got multifaceted. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious, Miss um, Mary, if you were to have a mutant power, what would it be? Goodness. <laughs> and we only asked the tough question. This one I here. don't. I I feel like I should have prepared better for this question. Um. I I feel like invisibility Ooh, oh, sneaky. like I, I but then you know that i want to have maybe more to it than that but i feel like because i often want to be a fly on a wall and i want to catch people talking about me <laughs> uh, that scares yeah, me no. i'm never giving you a key to this house yeah. <laughs> oh my god mm-hmm <laughs> if I drive the hour to try to get there anyway. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Listen, um, Link, all of us can find your hide keys. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the rock next it's to the It's the front rock door. from Brookstone. <laughs> um, goodness. I'm see, well, I'm curious to know what you guys are. And I feel like that would jog me into being having a better answer. So I mean, my first instinct is like I want like mental powers so that I can read minds and control people. Okay. That's normal. Um, I, but I also I, want something like super practical, like flight or teleportation. So like, Oh God, how about this? Pick three, pick three. Invisibility is one. Invisibility is one. I like teleportation. Yeah. In th so the thing about some sort of, what is it? Telekinesis is that yeah, moving things with your mind. 
Oh, that's the moving stuff with your Tele mind. Yeah. Telepathy is the reading mind. Is the reading, okay. See, the telepathy, I feel like I would want, but like that seems overwhelming. I feel like I would be like one of those people crumbling under all the voices in my head. Yeah, so, you can't so Jean Grey. Far too much anxiety already. <laughs> or <laughs> Ella Frost when she first got it because she wasn't naturally as prodigious as Jean. I mean, um, at least she didn't have to have somebody come in and like turn off certain parts of her powers and memories so she didn't overwhelm herself. You mean against her will? Fight, yeah. Fight, fight, yeah. Fight, fight. An old white dude came in <laughs> Into her head against her will and turned off her power. You know what? This is this is Christmas. It's true. It's true. Look, Emma had to grow into her powers, whereas Jean is just the perfect god phoenix from from the get. All right, I'll let it you. It is a Christmas miracle. It's Christmas. I'm giving you this present. It's thank fine. you. It's I can't fine. believe I was here for such a momentous moment. With Jean Grey <laughs> is an okay character. I'm oh here god. for all the big milestones. I'm you know? crying. Mary, don't take this moment away from me <laughs> you have it i'm just I thrilled that i'm a part of it no i'm just thrilled to be in the presence of it for your sake i'm just like i i just you don't understand how horrible he is to me about gene you should see what's on the cutting room floor he's so abused <laughs> we are going to be playing a drinking game today what what so I have a bottle of rosé. Hey, every... I've got a full glass. Well, yes. well you're gonna need to get it. you're gonna need to get that bottle, girl. <laughs> Four issues that we asked you to read. They're all holiday, Christmas themed, and yes. every time the X Men do or say something that we deem is inappropriate, we're gonna have to take a sip. So oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I have some listed, inappropriate. Okay. I have some listed already when we go through the issues. But if there's something that you want to call out, say it, and we'll we'll all take a sip. Okay. I just have to Got say, it. I just what? have what? to say that like this game, I, I I the things that you have come up with, I a lot of them I wouldn't not I would not have noticed myself and it is like inspiring me to read all of these old X-Men comics and like make an entire series out of times the X-Men were accidentally inappropriate yeah I, <laughs> they are so some of these issues like I'm reading them and look I love them it's a different time it's a different mindset but I'm like holy shit I cannot believe they just did this or said that I don't want to spoil it but yeah. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna go. No, I'm excited. So we're gonna dive into four issues that are holiday themed for our band of Merry Mutants. And our first one, of course, is Uncanny X-Men 143 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And Blink, you have been raving about this issue for like years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a classic issue. Um, you know, this is what many people consider to be the peak era of X-Men, Chris Claremont and and John Byrne. Um, and this is frequently cited as like one of the the better, you know, all the X-Men stories are huge and interconnected and always have a million moving parts, but this is one of the the few standalone issues uh, from that era. And so I think people point to it a lot just to to give folks like Mary, you know, a window into the world of the X-Men that doesn't involve the Shi'ar, the end of the universe, and all that craziness. It's just a, a smaller little little tale. And it's, it, it is a really standalone, easily digestible issue. And it's a great entry point for people who don't know too much about the X-Men. 
fun fact, I have skimmed this in a comic book store. I've read the the summaries on uncannyxmen.net and Wikipedia, but I've never actually read this panel. <gasps> I know. Oh my God. Uh, I, Miami, they, 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 we just didn't have a strong comic book scene. I don't know how many times I have to like defend my myself with that. It just, we, we didn't have that. So this was my first time reading it panel for panel. I have so many feels, but Mary, I want, I want you to tell us what yes. happened in this issue. So it starts with Storm, yes. And she is alone and gets attacked by these, what I pictured to be, oh my God, what are they called? The Death Eaters from Harry Potter. So I guess... If I'm understanding correctly, then she's like so weakened from. So she, so what happened? It said something is, about her like leaving, like going away. So she actually, so there was, it, it's, it's a flashback to an earlier issue of Uncanny X Men where it's discovered that there is this uh, ancient cairn, I think we're calling it, um, on no. Xavier's property. And I think she actually destroyed it. Um, yeah, she just she she destroyed, she destroyed it. it. And they thought that the battle was over, and seasons pass, but something, but the battle was not over. What 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 happens next there, Mayor? Right. So, um, little Kitty Pride was hanging out at the manse with. <laughs> All of the crew. And what I guess I missed is that, so they left to go get her parents. Is that right? Is that yes. So they did that surprise her at the end. That was her Christmas present from the X-Men is her, her parents was there the... for, for Hanukkah. Actually, she is a Jewish character. So yes, yeah. that was her Hanukkah present. Um, but, but yes, you got that correct. Okay. Because I was like, when she, somebody called, um, that she talked to and they were, and he was like, oh, that's weird. Why did they leave her alone? And I was like, yeah. It's Cyclops. How did they leave her alone? Like. It's a fair question. Like, it's a, she's then, a young girl. And which I did not get until, like, I got that she was like a teenager, but then she specifically said 13 at some point. And I was like, what? Yeah. How is this child left here alone? Like superpowers be found like the x-men are full of questionable decisions when it comes to their handling of children like wait, why do you five people have to go to the airport to pick up two people like wait wait wait, wait. so the x-men leave a 13 year old girl alone at home take a sip cheers cheers okay so what happens to kitty okay. while she's home alone so so as um, so these what the, the cairn was not destroyed and these I, I thought they were like smoky guys come after her a guy and she defeats it which I am totally lost on how she defeated it I don't know if I'm supposed to understand that well, yeah, as someone who is less familiar with the X-Men, um, you probably don't have a lot of knowledge about things like the the Danger Room or the Blackbird. So what she does at first is she tries to trap it in the gym on the X-Men's campus, which is full of 
you know, booby traps and holograms and all sorts of right. stuff. So she puts it on the hardest setting, traps it in there and hopes that that will, will take care of it. But it obviously doesn't. Um, so then she escapes through the tunnels to the jet hangar, at which point she uses the training, you know, at the beginning of the issue, she was learning. Yeah, she was doing the. Yeah, she was learning about the jet. So she then used that knowledge to incinerate the Death Eater. I like that. We'll just call it the Death Eater. (laughs) With the engines to the X-Men's Blackbird jet. Okay, so she did. Okay, so that was a success. I guess I... I, yeah. You. No, I, Mary, I agree with you. There was that beat in the story where you see the demonic hand coming after her and then it just cuts to them coming back. And they're like, yeah. wow, it's really cold in this house still. And Kitty's like on the sofa with her hair in a towel and she's like, la la la, nothing's wrong. And that's exactly, I was like, wait, what, what did I miss? I thought when I read it, I was like, oh, was this a much larger story than just a one-off? Like is now Kitty possessed? And it was an Mm. awkward beat for me until finally Kitty was like to Storm saying, oh no, LOL. Like there was this demon and I'm sorry, the mansion may be trash, but I know you're not angry because I proved myself. And I was like, Okay, so it's just rushed writing, not net, but it was an awkward beat on how she defeated. This. Yeah, yeah, and there was something about what was said at the at the end that made me think for a second. Wait, was any of that real, or was it like a test? But then they had like brought. Oh, um, yeah, there was something the way it said like she she had been tested or something. Yeah, the last panels. And then I was like, wait, so was it real? Yeah, it was like real. The so, rite of passage that she had to yeah. go. But I think it was a rite of passage yeah, yeah, yeah. for an X-Man that they have to do things like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I will that- say she's a badass little 13-year-old. Oh, yeah. This set her up. This, this story here. Yeah, well, let me just let me. Let me just tell you a little bit about about Kitty Pride, Mary. Kitty Pride was like the X Men it girl of the 1980s, and she has gone on to become one of the most popular characters in the X Men canon. And like literally every writer since Chris Claremont, who wrote this issue, um, has tried their hand at like redefining her. She has been a ninja. She's been a bartender. She's been a Star Lord. She's been engaged to Star Lord. Um, right now, she's literally a pirate. Um, in the okay. future, yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be. A, we'll take that conversation offline. It's sure, an interesting sure. one. Um, and you know, like in the future, she might even become president of the United States. Uh, but like, this is mostly how everyone remembers her she's kind of like the the gifted little ingenue who's everyone's eager little sister um right what was is that what was your take on kitty as a character besides like she's is it just she's a badass 13 year old yeah yeah that was my take i mean i liked her as a character overall and um and i'm just it was so interesting to read the comic style because she was like alone the whole time and like the the like writing out of all the thoughts and like the steps of what she's doing and all of that just that alone was an interesting style that is chris claremont a hundred percent 
I mean, I liked it because it's like, yeah, I'm picturing like, yeah, if this was a movie, then you would get like the feel of like what's happening. But like the narrating step by step what she's doing for me as a brand new reader was helpful. I felt like. It's actually interesting that you say, you know, that you reference it being a movie because this issue was actually more than a slight homage to the first Alien movie right down to the ending uh, where Kitty used the ship to the ship engines to kill the demon. Mm. That's exactly what Sigourney Weaver did with the alien in the very first Alien movie. So I I think, you know, it's almost surprising there wasn't some sort of cease and desist involved in this a lawsuit of some sort this for me was the x-men's home alone starring kitty pride and i agree it felt very cinematic and we see kitty's raw character and what made her such a like a big hit for fans and even though she's sophomoric and very juvenile i i get why she became legendary from this and it was just so refreshing to see an x-man being a student and what that curriculum entails. So Mm -hmm. she has to learn how to operate the Blackbird in danger room training. And that's knowledge she uses later on. And it was just, the X-Men aren't really there anymore. They're very different right now. So revisiting this, or in my case, like seriously sitting down and reading it, I just just enjoyed it. And I thought it was really fun. And and that's it. And I hope when we see the X-Men, come to the MCU. I hope we get this version of Kitty. I hope we get uh, X-Men Home Alone style, you know, movie and shenanigans happen while the adults are away. Totally. The, yeah. The X-Men the holiday Alone special coming soon to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> what I love about this issue is that you can see that the X-Men are still dealing with the fallout of Dark Phoenix and, and Kitty notes the X-Men are still emotionally devastated following Jean's death. And that explains why Cyclops is gone. That gentleman who called, who you're like, I don't know who that is, that's Cyclops. <laughs> and he left the X-Men following the, the death of Jean Grey on the moon. This was about this was about four or five issues after the Dark Phoenix saga had wrapped. So it was still pretty fresh at this point. Yeah. So the X-Men, you know, are trying to move on with their life now that their god queen is is no longer among them. R.I.P. Gene. Yeah. <laughs> and something else we're, worth noting here is that this is actually something of Kitty and Colossus's first kiss, which, of course, would be uh, this scene would be revisited when Kitty returns to the mansion in Astonishing X-Men. Um, and that very opening, that opening arc where she first comes back and she sees the shards of herself throughout the mansion. And uh, let's just take a moment to acknowledge the fact that Kitty Pride is 13 years old here, and she is kissing Colossus, who is much older, super inappropriate. Raise your glasses. Uh, right Let's there. How old is Colossus? I think he's supposed to be 19, right? Somewhere, yeah, yeah I was going to say somewhere like 17, 19, somewhere in that. Yeah. Somewhere, he's legal. Let's just put it that way. All right. So speaking of inappropriate, here are a couple other ones that I felt were very inappropriate. Nightcrawler macking on Mariko. I was, that was awkward. And Wolverine's like reaction and Xavier having to like subtly suggest uh, some euphoria for him. <laughs> Questionable. Questionable. Questionable all around. Like here's Nightcrawler macking on his buddies. 
like woman right in front of Wolverine and then Professor X turning around and like putting putting the mental kibosh on it. Like it's questionable behavior all around at the X Mansion foyer that day. Not having it. Uh, The next one that I thought was really inappropriate. No wheelchair accessibility for the school, despite its founder and headmaster is differently abled. Colossus has to carry him down the steps. (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. That is something that was only in the art. I would have never like put two and two together on that. And I'm like, what else is hiding in the background of these old X-Men comics? The other one, the last one I have is Cyclops shook as fuck that Lee Foster is a woman, despite the fact his now dead girlfriend was the most powerful being in the universe. And he's here like, what? A woman is a captain? Mm-mm. Mm. Another Cyclops. Sick. Yeah. Sorry. Amen. Cyclops is right about a lot, but on that, Cyclops, you wrong. You wrong, Cyclops. You wrong. All right. So that uh, is the conclusion for our first Xmas issue, but before we move on to the next one, I have to know on a scale of one to ten, Mary, where does Uncanny X-Men number 143 fall on the Uncanny Xmas meter? Um, one being bad, ten being yes. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put it high. I'm gonna put it as a nine. Oh, yeah. Ooh, a nine. I don't I very much enjoy that. Good, yeah, good. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to see whether or not we're going to be able to top that with any of our, you know, subsequent three issues. But but let's see. Let's see. Because we're, we're coming into my personal favorite up next, which is Uncanny X-Men number 230 by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri. And okay, so right off the bat with this one, We open to another splash page of Storm, but she is looking quite different from the last time we saw her. Uh, The cast is quite different from what the cast was. These are definitely not your classic X-Men. There's no Professor X. Uh, This is not Xavier's school. So clearly some things have gone down and I'm just curious, Mary, um, Mm -hmm. how do you think the X-Men wound up here in a ghost town in the Australian outback? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. I mean, I will say from, from reading the issue, I know all I know is that they pretended to die clearly and are in hiding. Now the question is, is why did they do that? And it's, So my thing is, I'm either thinking like Avenger style, they like destroyed a big city or like got in trouble for like causing too much ruckus in their superhero adventures, something along those lines, or like people aren't accepting of the mutants anymore. And so then they've gone into hiding, which I've always thought that this whole, like the school for the gifted, like people, people know they're mutants, right? Like maybe not in this issue, but in general they do like this whole, like living side by side. And Eventually like, they do. Yes. 
Got it. Um, so those that's that's what I got. Those I are- mean, that's not bad. That's I really I that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah, I mean it certainly you could the there is a cataclysmic event that that forces these events to happen and it is on the level of something that would have happened in like Infinity War Endgame like it's totally mm-hmm. a, a Thanos move even if it isn't Thanos um so yeah the X-Men you're correct they did quote unquote sacrifice themselves um they're so they're in the outback because they did sacrifice themselves on live television um in an effort to stop an ancient mystical entity called the adversary who of course was attempting to destroy the universe and fun fact for you mary that big battle scene that big fate of the universe battle scene took place in none other than dallas texas so much i mean you have kennedy's assassination and fall of the mutants so much history in dallas so much history there were i mean there were dinosaurs in the galleria there was like demonic shit going on down on 635 which is not unusual (laughs) no um when was this written again this was written in the late 80s so this was Probably okay. around 1988 or so, I believe. Okay. So we were alive. We were impacted by the adversary's attack on Fall of the I'm wow. so glad. I'm glad we made it through. I'm glad we weren't <laughs> on 635 that day. I know. We. I mean, it was the, my most traveled highway in those days. Yeah. Could have been us. So oh, as God. it turns out. I'm sorry, Flint. Uh, did you just make it all about you? I did. I love to do. I made it all about me and Mary, our guest. <laughs> I'm trying to make her feel welcome. Yeah. No, but you guys are doing such a great job. As or hospitable. Know. Hospitable. You One are. of us is yeah. hospitable. Making everything great. A host is hospitable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad we're we're succeeding in our our efforts here. But uh, as it turns out, of course, because this comic is still being published at this point, um, the X Men didn't die. After the camera stopped rolling, the goddess Roma intervened and she resurrected the X-Men. Uh, she gave them a new so start. They, so Do let what? me interrupt you real let yeah. me interrupt you real quick. When you say they sacrificed themselves on live TV, like they like like killed themselves on live TV. Yes. So yeah. what happened and was this this goddess Roma, who we could do a whole special episode on her complicated backstory. Uh, she basically could to defeat the adversary she had to cast a spell and she needed the souls of eight people to to do so and the eight the seven x-men plus madeline Pryor, who we'll get into in a little bit uh volunteered themselves so the whole world saw the x-men make this big sacrifice got it um but of course being a, a goddess with crazy wonky goddess powers roma immediately brought them back to life but the world still thinks they're dead here so got it um no one knows they're alive and this was just a couple issues before this so we're kicking off like right in the aftermath of that wait remind me again why didn't why weren't the x-men just like haha psych we're actually still alive why did they have to remain dead because they wanted to operate in the shadows of a world that still hated and feared them. Gotcha. Um, they wanted the anonymity. And Roma had also, and this, this, is a, this is a fun fact that I think, you know, every character in Star Wars, I think we were just like talking about this the other day, the X-Men were invisible to cameras, cameras yeah. at this point. So like 
security cameras be damned, the X-Men could break into the Death Star, they could break into onto Krakoa, they could do whatever they wanted at this point because they could not be picked up by surveillance, electronic surveillance. X-Men specifically? Or- Just these people, Roma gave the, this ability to the oh, people she, that- Oh, she, oh, got it. So God knows whatever happened to that ability. It just is one of those things that kind of just went whoop, kind of (laughs) away over the years. Nobody has referenced it in the last three decades or so. Comics, it's fine. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's where we're starting here. The X-Men are newly in the outback. They're newly operating in the shadows, um, getting to be the heroes that they've always wanted to be without the stigma of, you know, being filthy muties or or whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it. So over the course of- Over the course of, you know, X history, there's been a few occasions where mutants have sort of been more accepted. And because of the X-Men sacrifice on television, even though they're dead and not able to really appreciate it, this is actually one of the points in that history where mutants are kind of more loved and respected because of what the X-Men did. Got it. I digress. I digress. Like I said... That's the status quo when we get here. This issue is, a, I, I hope this issue is a little bit more simple than all of that continuity we just dumped on you. But Mary, let us know, what do you think is happening in this issue? Um, okay, so yeah, so they're hanging out in the outback. Um, it seems like, is it just the one that's like not really having it? She's going stir crazy. Yes. Um, I mean, Who's that one? Do you recognize her? Mary. I have to, I have, my memory's not. No, Mary is fine. I forget about basic bitches all the time. <laughs> Found myself a party, don't know. Uh, it's Emma, it's Emma. Is that <laughs> it? Don't oh, insult I, Emma Grace. She was in Foss, something. Okay, I don't know without looking it up. Who, okay, who's Flink's favorite X-Man? Dazzler. Yes. Dazzler, that's right. Oh, see, I don't know that it, I don't know that I knew it was Dazzler. What's her Oh my God. It's fine. I've failed you. You have failed me. Like I, well, no, that's a lie. I knew, I mean, I was aware of reading Dazzler as I was reading. Is this the only one that she was in? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Then I did know it was Dazzler. I just forgot. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. We won't harp on it. We won't harp on it. I failed you as a friend. I've shamed myself all over the internet today. It's fine. No, no. I have failed you as a friend. (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely. Look at Mary right there. So thoughtful. You have, but it's okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So so aside from me obsessing over Dazzler as usual, what what else is, is going on here? Um, okay, so they are what doing like training exercises near a treasure cave. It would seem and I don't know who. Long shot. Long shot is drawn in by the voice. See, and this is why I don't know if he has that telepathy thing, but he like shut down, right? Didn't they say all the so okay. So the actual, so I was thinking that it was like ghosts or like souls or something, but these were like actually just the souls of the objects that we're talking to. So Longshot has the power of, God, I don't even know how to say it out loud. He has psychometric powers. So he can like touch things and get like a read of them. He can like psychically get a read on the item. Like their history of... 
Yeah. So yeah. what's happening so he can here touch the is object, and he'll see the the history of the object. Not right. unlike Miss Adrian Frost, who is Emma Frost's sister. Yeah. So basically, what he's hearing is these objects calling out to be returned to their owners, and he's right. overwhelmed by it. Right. Okay. Um. So that happens. He shuts down because it's too too much at once. Right. All the feels. All the feels. And then when he wakes up, he's like, we've got to return this stuff. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then who is it? Is who's there? Is it Wolverine? Wolverine yeah, is there, there. Yeah. And he's the one that's like, no. Like, like I said, he's just. <laughs> you got it. You have nailed Wolverine's character. Hugh Jackman is just really angry. He's just really angry. Um, <clears throat> he says, no, this is the whole reason we went into hiding. It's too risky. We can't risk people finding out that we're still alive. And so they say, you're stupid. We should do it anyways. And they do. And so. And it's real cute because they are Santa Claus on Christmas yeah. Eve yeah. delivering the presents. It was fun. And yeah, like, I thought it was a really, that was really cute of them. And obviously they don't return all of the objects because Miss Thirsty Queen needs her motorcycle. Yes. <laughs> no. I, look, look, I, I, I throw shade about Dazzler. I love Alison Blair and I think she really shines in this issue and I love that they kept a motorcycle. I mean, you know what? Dazzler doesn't ask for much and she doesn't get much. So let's just give her a motorcycle. Like, right? It's true. Right? And she is- wasn't even gunning for it. You know, it's not like you have to keep this for me. They did it. Yeah, they did it as a nice gesture. For yeah. And, I, yeah, and I, I did very much enjoy her throughout. She was she was fun. Well, you know what I think is she she's a whole damn quarantine mood just about with her no That's place exactly. whatsoever to boogie on a Saturday night. She is sick of staying home. Like I was like, That's damn girl. Literally exactly what I was. But thinking. I love that realization for Dazzler. We don't really get much of that. In the current books, she's Dazzler is just as for Dazzler. She has been robbed in the last like 20 years. And this but, is peak X-Men Dazzler. But Flink, and I, I'm sorry to do this to you. I didn't like this issue as much as I wanted to. Oh no. And look, look, look. I want I want to be objective about it because there is good stuff here. And I think there is a reason why the Outback X-Men are so iconic and why they resonate with fans like you and me, because Chris and Mark Silvestri, who was the artist, are electric and they have so editorially and creatively, they have such a strong rapport. And I feel like they're on the same page when we're going from panel to panel. And it's like lightning in a bottle. And the character dynamics here are just so wonderful. I just, I love this team, but I don't know for a holiday issue. I just, I felt there was a lot more potential in it that just didn't come to fruition. And I love the idea of Longshot having his abilities kick into overdrive because they're at the Reavers, you know, base that they, they, that they've taken over and him wanting to give these objects back to their rightful owners. I just don't feel that the focus was entirely there on like the good spiritness of it. I, they do mention it, but 
I would have liked to have seen like Longshot, who Mary, I don't know if you know much about Longshot. He comes <clears> from <throat> Mojo World and it's like an alternate dimension. So I would have liked him that quintessential, like this is what the holiday spirit means and doing goodwill. And I know with like the necklace, you get the flashbacks there. And I just don't feel like when the necklace is delivered, we get that emotional swell in the plot that we should have as, as a reader. We get long shot single tear. Yeah, I'm it so, moves him. I'm so glad we get a man tear, but I would have divided the issue with Rogue and Gateway, Longshot, and then the rest of the team. And I just, I, I wanted there to be a little bit more at pulling at the heartstrings because we can infer from like the flashbacks for the necklace, but I don't know if I understood the story of the necklace and why it was so important for that little girl now, doctor, getting that necklace and, and having that like, oh, mother's necklace, especially with like what we got there. Like maybe if they had shown us the mother dying of cancer or, or, <laughs> or dying in a car accident or something, and that necklace was something that held a lot of emotional value. And through that long shot could understand humanity. I would have clicked a little bit more with it. I mean, I can understand that. I can understand that. I think they were saving the emotional beats more for the X-Men specific stuff, you know, the stuff going on with Madeline pining over no, her I son. Disagree. I disagree with that. And that, that was going to be my next point because Madeline literally has a throwaway line being like, oh, I'm learning all this technology for one day being able to find my baby. This is, you just gave birth. Your baby is gone. This is Christmas. I want to see an emotional breakdown here. Your baby was abducted. I mean, fair. Fair. Like I want tears. Like I, you know, I just, I want to see that, that catastrophic, like my son is gone and now the world thinks I'm dead and I can't access him like emotion behind it. Um, but that was actually one of my drinking points. Madeline being kind of chill that baby Nathan has been abducted and she's just like, yeah, I'm figuring out this new technology. It, 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 it's tame compared to what she attempts to do later. I have one, I have, I have a question for you about Madeline while we're, while we're talking about her. Does she look like anyone to you? Does she look like a popular like an, X-Men character? Like an A-list X-Men character with beautiful red hair that everyone loves. Um, yes, she, so Jean Grey. Yes! <laughs> so, spoiler alert for you, she is actually a clone of Jean Grey. And there is so much shenanigans that comes after this because of, because of her being a clone of Jean Grey, because of her baby going missing. It just, because her husband Cyclops left her to get back with Jean Grey when she had come back to the dead at this point. There's, Which was there's, such a D-bag move. It was Cyclops. such a D-bag move. So she is one of our very favorite characters and she has been treated like like shit. So, He's you know what? I like can go back. So Cyclops, Cyclops got with her after... So the idea was that after Jean Grey died, editorially speaking, Chris Claremont wrote this character, Madeline Pryor, to be the one in the million chance that she happened to look like Jean Grey, but had no connection to Jean Grey. And she was supposed to be Cyclops's happily ever after. He would and Jean go was supposed to be dead. And, and Je dead. Jean would stay dead, dead. And Cyclops will go off, have children with her and start a life. And maybe if the X-Men needed some backup, he would come in. But that was supposed to end Cyclops' narrative. 
what eventually happened, they brought Jean Grey back and they wanted the original X-Men for X-Factor. And mm, they, they were going to have like another character in X-Factor. I'm trying to remember who was it. Who? 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 Dazzler. Dazzler. <laughs> And so Dazzler, you know, unfortunately didn't make it into that series. I'm sorry, fortunately didn't make it into that series. And they brought Gene back. It is fortunate. So they had to have all of the original X-Men back and Cyclops therefore left Madeline and the baby. But I digress. Yeah, we could talk about- So interesting. uh, We could talk about Madeline literally all day. Well, I say, I tell you the backstories are fascinating, genuine. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait, some drinking games. So take a sip. Colossus holding animal feces and showing it to Dazzler was disgusting. Oh, gross. Um, Rogue gifting Gateway a recorder? Like, I, like oh, it's such an 80s gift. Such a- <laughs> it's like a first grade music class gift. She got that at like Specs record store. <laughs> Another one, Rogue being pinned down by her wrist by Colossus and Wolverine's claws popping at that side. And then her face when he impales her. Um, Yeah, that wasn't discreet at all. And I love my boy Mark Silvestri, but that was an awkward scene. Mm, slightly, slightly. Oh. I want to say that the new mutants are still reeling from Doug Ramsey's death. Mary, that scene towards the end of the issue where a bunch of random people to you seemingly just sort of take over and start talking. That is actually a new class of younger mutant students called the new mutants. They have taken the X-Men's place at the, you know, as the student of the Xavier's Institute. So they -hmm. recently lost a classmate and they think that the X-Men are dead. So this is a real somber, melancholy holiday for them there. Right, yes. So Mary, the, the guy with the white hair who's with those people is mm-hmm. actually Magneto, who is leading the New Mutants and is acting as a mentor for them at this time. Got it. But yeah, sp- Magneto has taken over Xavier's school at this point. Okay. All the things and are they, happening. And they, they're nemesis still, or...? At this point, no. Actually, Xavier entrusted the new mutants to his care. But the original X-Men, who are now in X-Factor, are appalled that Magneto is running their school. Mm, Got it. Got it. Before we move on to uh, the next issue, I just have to ask, where does Uncanny 230 fall on the Uncanny Xmas meter? Um, I I really did enjoy it, and I liked the... um you know, night before Christmas vibes that were there. I'm going to, I'm going to put it up there. I do think I like the kitty pride better. Fair. I'm going to say a seven or an eight. We'll call it a seven and a half. 7.5. Perfect. So our next issue is generation X number four by Scott Lobdell and Chris Bacello. I look I love this issue so, so, so much. I love the Generation X kids. Mary, just to give you a little context, the X-Men had just come out of this massive crossover um, with the phalanx that sort of is this techno-organic alien that can- It's the Borg. It's It's the Borg. I don't know what that Mm. means. 
Mary knows what it means. She knows Star Trek. It's the Borg. I they know. assimilate yeah. people. No I have zero idea what that means. But <laughs> I got to break it down for our guests. I'm like, I, well, I'm like, what is Star Trek? And <laughs> and so they could assimilate humans, but not mutants. So it was a really big like plot in the earlier in issues earlier to this. And what came of that was Banshee and Flink's favorite character, and I love her very much as well, Emma Frost starting a new team of X-Men called Generation X at the Massachusetts Academy and being able to train them. And these are sort of the younger X-Men and their story. So this was written to appeal to a much younger audience in 1994, 1995. So that's where we begin with this issue. And I'm curious, Mary, what happened in this issue? So they're going on this field trip. They get detoured and go to, and they're just by a school. They're at the school, right? This Elliot guy is in a school holding his teacher and maybe others hostage. Yeah. And it seemed like the teacher had like promised to help him. And he's like, you haven't helped. People don't like me. Like, or he was trying to get him into the school, right? Is that wrong? I, yeah. Anyway, um, and so then the group that was on the field trip goes to help and it was, they were too late because the teacher had a heart attack. Yeah. So then this kid looked different than others, was assumed to be a mutant that's holding these people hostage and turns out he's not even a mutant and he was turned on by everybody just for being different, which is just really sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, that's yes, really good. Mary. Way to go, Mary. See, the art is very different and the storytelling is very different, but you, you managed to, to digest overall what, what's happening here. I think the things that you, that you didn't, that you didn't hit were just, really x-men specific stuff like there was a a, a a you know a fight with with orphan maker who is a oh, yes. you know z-list x-men villain who is actually currently being somewhat redeemed um in in uh, a book called oh, yeah. hellions um so you you know there's there's a battle scene with him where we we, we check in you know with emma and some of the other cast but i think so far as you know, the meat and potatoes of the story. You nailed it. Good job. It's a Merry Christmas miracle. <laughs> it's a really sad Christmas story, though. I don't... It is. You can tell the transition sort of between, you know, the tone of the last issue, Christmas issue we read, and this one where, you know, the attitude against mutants here is directly hated and feared, whereas... You know, in Uncanny X-Men 230, there was that glimmer. The X-Men died heroes. Maybe mutants aren't so bad. But unfortunately, we almost always revert back to the status quo of mutants are different. We hate them. Humanity doesn't want anything right. to do with them. And that's I got very true blood like fanger vibes, you know, if you watched it. Not only did I watch it, I love the Sookie Stackhouse Southern Vampire Mystery Series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read those books, but um, to, to 
piggyback off of what you both said, I one thing I love about Lobdell, who is the writer for this issue during this era, is that he understood what the mutant identity meant in a larger context. And I think it's extremely important to note that Orphan Maker isn't just a bad guy who wants to beat up humans. Humans are the enemy and he is defending, Orphan Maker is defending one of his own. And I love the line that he says, which is every time you manage to corner a mutant, you start waving the big guns. And that just showcases that hate and brutality, even police brutality, isn't something new in our society. It's something that is an ongoing persistent problem that has not been solved at all. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Very not clear. Bit. <laughs> it, it's not, and, I, and I love that part about this issue. It's a very sad issue, but I think the moral, there's a clear moral here, which is you got to be kind to other people and you can't, yeah. just because someone looks different, you can't respond to them with hate. And, you know, I think in today's world, that's a much different conversation than it was back in the nineties. And I love, I love the moral of the story, but Mary, I'm curious that last page with Jubilee kind of coming up and reading, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall and and talking to to the reader. What do you think happened there? Oh my gosh. I mean, she okay so it's got something to i'm gonna say something to do with ice (laughs) not wrong because it's a holiday issue right um goodness i i mean it seems like it seems like so it's everything's about to be turned upside down is what it feels like yeah um in what way can i can i can i explain it flint because i oh please by all means (laughs) so so mary your best Mary, what happened, what's happening simultaneously is that Legion, who is Professor Xavier's son, has traveled back into the past and accidentally murders his father. So with Xavier dead, the X-Men were never founded. Jean Grey, the god queen of the Marvel 616 universe, yeah, Blink, I see your face, never did her ill-fated space shuttle flight where she bonded with the Phoenix, and the Phoenix never stopped the M-Cron crystal from destroying the universe. So that last page is reality completely falling apart, the M-Cron crystal overtaking the universe, and it would lead into one of the most epic crossover events for the x-men which was age of apocalypse oh wow yeah welcome well yeah. anyway, i thought gene gray i can just recite in my sleep you know that <laughs> so essentially what 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 happens at that point is they cancel all of the x-men comics for four months and replace them with alternate universe versions of these characters so this is generation x it morphed into generation next and it had the same sort of vibe. It had a couple of the same characters. It was definitely your teen book, but it had, uh, you know, different adults, adult characters leading the team. It was hella dark, hella dark. Um, and it was just, it, it was just an interruption to your regularly scheduled X-Men programming. And it was, it was a real hoot. I, you know, nineties kids are gonna love on AOA all day. And we spoke to one of the creators, Mary, of that crossover and of Generation X. And they were, and I don't want to reveal it because we haven't announced it yet, but they did talk about how they had to go to sales 
and pitched this story. And there was a lot of apprehension because you're going to take a very successful franchise. We just launched in this case, generation X had just been launched and now we're going to hit pause and like redo everything for a few months. And at the time it was unheard of. I mean, nowadays people would be jumping on it, but this is a trailblazing event. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. But one thing, man, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I can't keep up. Like, I know. You're, take, take a sip. Just take a courtesy. There's sip. so much. So take much. A sip. Mm. Okay, but like... I don't know how you guys keep this knowledge straight in your heads. I know. Well, I know more about the X-Men and- than I do about like American history. <laughs> about oh, life. I mean, about to be life. quite honest, I probably do too. So... <laughs> But one of the things in this issue that I look, I know Flink is going to disagree with me. I don't like Jubilee during this era. I think Jubilee comes across so mean. And look, I want to point out her with her hands together, like she's forming a gun with the sparkles on it. I love, I love the style of Jubilee for generation X, but she says some things that I'm like, girl, like, why did I picked up on that vibe as well? When when she goes into Elliot, who's a student holding the teacher who is obviously dead, she's just like, dude, your teacher is dead. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, maybe, maybe just approach it a little bit. Anyways, that's one of my inappropriate X-Men moments. So cheers. Yeah. I feel you on that. It was it's not necessarily appropriate, but I feel like it kind of encapsulates that like teenager like angsty teenager disaffected youth of the early 90s kind of vibe i think the writer i i think scott lobdell he just leaned into it a little too hard there he didn't exactly read the room yeah and i it, don't know no i agree with you 100 percent. i i like that jubilee when we compare it to someone like kitty who is like the star pupil you have jubilee who's a bit more rebellious and has more swag but that being said, though, there's a difference between be, being a character with swag and outright mean. You know, totally. and, oh, I'm not defending it. It was outright mean. It was disaffected in the wrong. And in earlier issues, Mary, during the Phalanx crossover that we're talking about, and I've spoken about it before on this podcast, Jubilee looks at Emma Frost and says, Frosty, is this why your your previous students, the Hellions, died? And I'm like, oh, like, that's but that's fine. I get it. She's a angsty. way harsh tie. But yeah, like way that. harsh. Yeah. No. Well, okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Emma because it wouldn't be an issue of Generation X or an episode of Generations of X if I didn't harp on the one page that that Emma showed up in here. Uh, I really want to know, Mary, how do you rate her white winter look? And do you think the necklace she's wearing is the same as the one the X-Men returned in the issue prior? Oh, I'm kidding. kidding. That definitely didn't happen, but it looks almost identical. Can you imagine like Longshot returns that necklace, has a single man tear, and then comes Emma Frost and like yanks it off of her neck? They are so similar looking, but they're colored totally different. But like- very similar. <laughs> it is. It is. 
but what I would have never picked okay. up on that if I hadn't read these back to back. But overall, I'm curious, you know, is that a, a cozy winter look for <clears throat> a, a Christmas gal such as yourself? Yes, I rate this outfit a 10 out of 10. <gasps> um, I can't hate on an all white look, especially, I mean, a sweater dress. Like, yes. I, for a sweater dress, she looks cozy. She looks chic. She's got a lob. I'm here for all of it. Look, I'm glad, Emma. I'm mm. glad Emma went to the DKNY outlet and <laughs> Dallas and got this beautiful white comfy sweater. But excuse me. I uh, no, I am not here for that. Uh, she got that from Loft at least. <laughs> I no, I I don't know. I'm not that was gonna be one of my sins, but I guess I'm gonna. I'm going to have to drink on my own for this one. Drinking on your own for that Sorry. one. She looks Listen, I can't hate. Yes, I cannot hate on it. Okay. She accessorized. Well, the necklace could go, actually, since it is the turtleneck. But yeah. well, then take I a like sip, the Mary. necklace. Of all the things in this outfit, I like the necklace. I just oh I like God. it, but I don't like it with that turtleneck. Then it then it turns into like the collar vibes. I don't know. Mary, you have refilled your glass because yes. our final, like, inappropriate moment in this issue was when Paige eavesdrops on a private moment between Penance and Chamber. So, nosy, 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 Paige. Okay, so before we move on to our final Xmas X-Men issue, I have one more question for you well we're gonna get you to to rate it as well but aside from emma another one of my all-time favorite x-men like top five x-men characters is in this book let's see if you pay attention to my comic book rants it's it's one of the characters on the cover all of their names are there so if you pull up the cover I'm going right now. Let's see how much you pay attention. Which one of these characters is one of my very favorites? All of the names. I mean, I, I want to, I feel a lot of pressure right now because I've already gotten so much wrong for you today. I want to say Jubilee. I mean, you're not wrong. If Nessa, not, okay. Is so... More then I would say Banshee. I mean, Banshee's a ginger hottie, but okay. the answer is M. Who? M. She's the girl <laughs> sucking on the candy cane on the first on the first page of story, and that's about all she does this issue. So I guess God, she didn't give you a lot to go on here, but she is fabulous. M. I love M too. She she is fabulous, and we. We hope M gets more, especially we do. In, we in, do. In today's. So to, to to wrap on Gen X number four, uh, on our uncanny Xmas meter, where does it fall? So it's gonna fall lower for me. So the thing is, is I love the message, love the vibe of that of just be nice to everybody. But it's a sad Christmas story, and I like happy Christmas stories. So I'm going to say four. That's fair. Oh, I don't think it's fair. 
I mean, recount, recount. Who wants to be sad at Christmas? You right. know, I can feel you on that. Well, blue, of course, I love all, it. It's simply it because it's simply because of the sad vibes. But I give the attend to the message. Fair, okay, fair. That's fair. Yeah. fair. yeah, fair. Okay, so. One final Christmas issue. I think we saved probably the easiest, lightest for last. We have Adjectiveless X-Men number 165 by Chris Claremont and Salvador LaRocca. Um, the cover actually says, what does it, what does it say, Dayspring? So it says Chuck Austin on the cover, and that's actually not right. It's Chris Claremont who actually wrote this issue. Where are the editors? I just, we talked about this. I don't understand why they can't go back and re-edit out any mistakes. And we've seen that happen quite a few times. So the publisher in me wonders, can they not do that? Because that would mess with like the ISBN for the book or is it just laziness or they just didn't notice? I don't know the answer. Listener, if you do, please message us at generationsofx at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy that they have the wrong author listed on the cover of a book. But I digress. Um, Mary, at this point, we are about 10 years past Generation X number four. Um, I think this is actually the biggest time jump that we've had between issues. And my God, some things have happened. Um, certainly from the cover, you can see that my boo Emma has graduated from baggy sweaters in the B team to Ooh. fabulous capes and hanging out in the big leagues. Uh, okay, there's well, a can team. I ask you what's happening with her face? She, there is a, a snowball coming straight at her face and she is not happy about it. But are you yeah. talking about like the actual art? Yeah. Because it, I don't disagree. I funky. feel I feel Salvador LaRocca, who I love his art, especially in Extreme X-Men and, you know, other issues he did in this Austin run. It did feel a little rush at points. I feel like he's going for campy here and he's not a campy artist. Fair. I agree with that. Fair. I, I just don't feel like the face matches the body. Fair. I mean, I think that that's kind of the point because usually she is drawn as this statuesque beautiful blonde and here she is caught in a moment caught off guard it's not rendered all that well but I can appreciate kind of what he's going for I guess I guess I can just appreciate all kinds of things when it comes to Emma Frost I suppose I Um, just think Emma Frost deserves a better face than that is all I second it well you know what (laughs) wait wait to to just interject here in the episode, or excuse me, in the issue of Bright New Morning following Morrison's end, he has Emma with star earrings. Oh, God. Emma and would Emma never Frost go to That is like never. That's like Claire's in Walmart bag. Exactly. Style. Emma just would never wear that. And I remember seeing that and be like, oh, it's a different era for sure. Uh, <laughs> maybe he just has bad taste. I, love I don't know. I don't know. I love his art. I don't want to rag on him too much because I, you know, it's well, only- I was actually gonna rag on him just a little bit more in my, oh, you know, cool. we have fine. you do it. Aside from aside from Emma, you know, there's a lot of different things going on here. We now have uh, a female Wolver- Wolverine running around. Um, and every female character in this issue seems to to have a major wedgie. Um, I I actually kind of <laughs> well, that forgot. sounds inappropriate. I think we should inappropriate. Yeah, take a drink. inappropriate. 
I mean, we basically open to X-23, a teenager. Mm -mm. Very inappropriate. Anyways, anyways, I actually kind of forgot how all-encompassing of the reload era of X-Men that this holiday issue was. It literally has all of the casts from the books at the time um, are touched on. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a different one from anything we've read. So yeah, this is a truly fun issue. I remember when I read this in college, I did not like this issue at all. But now that I have my head out of my ass and I'm not a snobby <laughs> English major, I think it's just a fun holiday issue. And we see the X-Men as a family but beyond that, we see them as a school celebrating the holidays. And, and what I love about this particular moment in the Reloaded era, this is pre-House of M. You know, Mutant Society is flourishing and we see that the X-Men are thriving and having a good time. And House of M, I believe, will be happening that summer because this came out in late 2004 slash yeah, early yeah, this is. This so, is the holiday before House of M. So House of M would come that summer in 2005. And the X-Men are not going to get very happy moments anymore for a while. So seeing Rachel and Kitty celebrating with Beast, even though he's a raging sociopath, seeing X-23 joining the X-Men, seeing Emma and Scott laughing at themselves it was just it was just fun i i want to give them the biggest hug ever and say hang tight guys because a lot's gonna happen <laughs> and you're I not mean, gonna be ready for it your up. <laughs> your version of 2020 is just months away yeah oh. i mean in this issue the x-men are sort of just simply being heroes saving people from a car crash at the beginning of of the issue and 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 celebrating christmas i i Loved how many um, of the threads to the other books and the storylines there were at the time. A lot of this stuff turned out to be rather inconsequential, but we do still have really big moments like X-23 joining the team here. Um, I, it, you know, it's light, it's fluffy, it's fun. It's not something you really have to think too hard about. Um, I think that there's some missed opportunities and some random moments um, certainly, I think, you know, the end where we have Lila Cheney singing and Jubilee providing fireworks. I, I, I'm sorry. Was there not someone else available who could do both at the same time and better? Yeah, no, no, there actually wasn't. They, I, I think here's the thing why Dazzler wasn't there. They actually wanted someone who was talented perform at the school. You know, Lila Cheney, of all things, calling her no, talented, I don't think. I love, I do love Dazzler, a.k.a. Allison Blair. So I just want to be very clear about that. I, I agree with you. Why, why have Jubilee and Lila Cheney there when Dazzler can do it all and she'll do it on discount? You know? Uh, <laughs> and by the way, I want to go ahead and have a moment for our little game here. Just, just, just for fun to remind everyone that when Cannonball and Lila Cheney started dating, he was a mere teenager and Ooh. she was pushing 30. Oh, drink Ooh, right cougar. Ooh, Mrs. Robinson. Beast putting a Rudolph nose on Emma. How dare he? How dare he touch her? Mm. How dare he touch that face? Does he not know how much she paid for it? Apparently, according he to Mary, not happy. that much. 
Not that much, according to Mary. Oh, <laughs> she needs a refund from her surgeon. Those lips too thin. What's going on with the blue lips? I just, okay. I'm At the time she was, <laughs> she was wearing white lipstick. That was like an official part of her look, but I agree. It made her lips look blue in a lot of the colorings. And I'm, I personally am very glad we have moved past that for her. Yeah. So yeah. Gambit just magically <laughs> regains his sight, which he lost in Day of Adam Part 2 when one of his cards exploded on his face. Because, you know, that happens. And people who are blind can witness that Christmas miracle. And I think that's such an offensive trope. And I'm going to drink to that. Yeah. And... Not only is it an offensive trope, I just, it's what, what is happening here is so Claremont. It is him having his pet character Sage do something she has never before been able to do and never again been able to do. Um, She can just do whatever he wants her to do in the moment. And when she reminded me of that awful, awful, She's not even an X-Man at this point. That she is like involved in the Hellfire Club. And that's why everyone's like, ooh, he was talking to Sage and she's wearing like a black queen outfit here. And I'm just like, whatever happened to that? To your point, she did that also in Extreme X-Men when she like kickstarted Hank's secondary mutation. Like, yeah. And then she saw like a ghostly image of what was to come. I was like, mm, I don't, I, I don't know Sage's. <laughs> Power set is ill-defined, so I agree with you on that. Sage's power set is whatever Chris Claremont wants her wants to, do to do in the moment. But a really good thing about this issue, and um, I was about to call you Rachel. A really good thing about this issue, Mary, is that Rachel meets her grandparents, John and Elaine Gray, who are Jean Gray's parents, because Rachel is the daughter of Jean Gray from an alternate timeline. And that's a plot point that would come back later on in... Did you so have you, but just between us talking about Rachel Gray and Madeline Pryor, are you getting this sense of how sordid and fucked up Cyclops and Jean Grey's like life together is? Yes, absolutely. That's why earlier I was like, wait, Jean died and then he just got with somebody that looked exactly like her? Like, Mm -hmm. as you do. Solves all the problems. Yeah. Wait, wait, a further turn of the screw? Jean has died a second time right now, and the X-Men are dealing with the fallout from Planet X, which was a big Morrison story. And Rachel meeting her grandparents is sort of like a big cathartic moment for all three characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but spoiler alert, this scene is planted here so that in a few months' time they can murder the grandparents and the entire gray bloodline in front of Rachel. So, you know, again. They who? The, you know, they. The they, Shi'ar Death are. Commandos. Got it. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, you know, just... those folks. Oh, wait, what? Two, two more little sips here, and then I'm done with my oh. drinking game because I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at, and I'm actually <laughs> And I'm actually okay. home. One, <laughs> one, Rachel saying, Prezzies. I thought, like, that's not Rachel Summers. It's Come not. Drink. Drink to that. Secondly, the gift she gives Emma, which is basically just silk sweatpants with X-Men on the butt, which is supposed to be like the pink or juicy couture of the <laughs> mid-2000s. No, absolutely no. No, I drink to that. Emma would never. <laughs> I mean, she was wearing leggings 
in Generation X number four, I think. Fine. Yeah. X-Men on the butt? No. I guess the only thing left to ask at this point is uh, where does adjectiveless X-Men number 165 land on the uncanny Xmas meter? say it was just like you said it's just feel good Christmassy um I'm gonna put it at like a six okay a six so in conclusion we have on our uncanny Xmas meter in first place we have uncanny X-Men 143 rated at a nine In second place, we have Uncanny X-Men, number 230, rated a 7.5. In third place, we have Adjectiveless X-Men, number 165, rated as a 6. And then in last place, sadly, I disagree, we have Generation X, number 4, with a 4. A 4 with a caveat of a 10. With an Message. Yes. With yes. an asterisk. Wait, yes. like how would you how would you how would you order these issues? I would say to, uh, uncanny 230 in first place because I it's just getting into the outback era and whether the issue itself is the greatest, it fits into a larger story that means a, a whole lot to me. So it's in first place. I would put Generation X in second place for similar sort of nostalgic reasons. That was one that I actually read uh, in real time at Christmas when it came out when I was nine years old. So um, lots of love for that. Uh, Of course, then I would put uh, Uncanny 143. Um, It is the, I'll admit, it's the most iconic of these stories. Um, But, you know, Kitty Pride versus Outback X-Men and Generation X not can't hold a candle uh and then yeah last place uh X-Men 165 it just as fun as it is it 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 and 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 you know no it does have that consequential moment with especially with you know X-23 joining the team and Rachel meeting the Greys it's not completely inconsequential but it is kind of just a series of random vignettes so it falls at the bottom for me. What, what about you, Dayspring? Well, I think I'm going to give it to Uncanny X-Men 143. I thought that was such a fun issue and a great look at Kitty as a character. And I understand where the love for that character kind of spawned out of that. I don't think, I think there's things in Generation X number four that mm, are kind of hard to navigate, but I'm going to give it to it. I love it as my number two. I thought it was just fun. It was everything I loved about the 90s. It was just very like bright, stylized, lots of great colors. My next one will be X-Men 165. I, I don't think it's from a writer perspective better than Uncanny X-Men 230, but I feel it's a straight up holiday issue. And yeah. There's something there. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from it other than the X-Men are having fun during the holidays. And even though I think Uncanny X-Men 230 is has a great creative team, has a really great cast, and I love them very much, I don't the, the issue didn't quite make the leap for me from a holiday perspective. So I'm going to have to sadly, very regretfully put it on my fourth, but that's not to say I don't appreciate 
that cast and that creative team. I mean, let's be honest. I only selected that for this because it's the Outback X-Men and has Dazzler in it. And I wanted to force that on my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I let you down. And I let you down. It's okay. You're like, it is that is Emma okay. Frost? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> is that Emma Frost? <laughs> I mean, they're both blonde-ish. I don't know. It's okay. I just I, remembered I had seen Emma Frost in one of the books. And yeah. Well, you, I mean, if, if you're going based off of those, if you're just going based off of these issues, I mean, Dazzler, I mean, she looks better than Emma in, in both. I agree. I, agree. I mean, Emma in her comfy 90s sweater and then whatever Salvador La Roca did to her face. <laughs> she's not having the best, the best not, of time here. She's comfy, but she's not, she's not exactly listen, Emma at her best. Athleisure is okay, especially this year. Uh, she was ahead of the trend. This was 94. Exactly. Look at her go. Mary, it has been so much fun having you. It's we're going on over two hours just talking. Yeah, no, it's did you have any idea? Times. Did I have any idea that it would be two hours? Yeah. Uh, yes, I did have an idea because I've heard of marathon recording sessions. I mean, it's oh, the shade. how much fun this is. Like, <laughs> oh, for real, this has been no, a blast. Like, I knew, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun just because we always have a lot of fun. But uh, actually getting to have a informed conversation about X-Men with you after all these years has been a real treat, a real Christmas treat for me. Thank you. Well, good. Cause this is what you're getting for Christmas. That's oh, it. you got your <laughs> more, more than I got you. <laughs> you got a Merry Christmas present right oh, here. Right oh, here. love thanks, it. Thanks, man. I've had a thank you guys for having me. I have had a blast. This has been fun. It's been a good distraction from real life right now. <laughs> oh. We all need that distraction. All right. I am the uncanny Dayspring. And I am the adjectiveless Flinkman. We'll see you all next week. Peace out.